talk, talk to me. WSRadio.com Welcome to Computer and Technology Radio with your hosts, Mark Cohen and Marsha Collier. And welcome and thank you as always for joining us. Delighted to be spending our Saturday live with you if you are listening live. And there are many ways you can listen to us. Uh, best one is probably getting the WS Radio app where you can listen to us in your car or anywhere else you want to. You can also listen to us on many of the streaming services like iHeartRadio, uh, iTunes download, and all of the above. And also you can listen to us on Twitter as well. We're getting a lot of Twitter listeners. And Marsha, how is that done? Hey there, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Um, why don't you check out my account, at Marsha Collier, hashtag tech radio, and I'm live on there listening to what you have to say. I've been setting up our guests, so I haven't been able to answer a bunch of people, but oh, my jet, thank you for being there. Uh, thank you, Uncle Bill. Thank you, there Success you Train, Jim Katzeman, all our Twitter friends. Please uh, be sure to message me or tweet to me, hashtag tech radio, during the show. Yes, please. So it's been so a bit of a crazy week. week. Yeah, yeah, well, needless to say, it's been a crazy week, you know, uh, between the stock market movement and the all the corona stories and everything that's going on. It's been kind of a wild week and, a, frankly, a very draining week. I went to the Laker game last night. Why? Because I wanted to see the Lakers. And, you know, there's been so many stories out about people not showing up at events. There were 17,000 people there last night. So I can only speak for what's going on in Los Angeles, but certainly everybody was at the game last night. Uh, so I don't know. What's your experience been? Um, I've been working, working at home and doing things. And that's one of the things we have a guest today. We're going to talk yeah. about. You know, the uh, coronavirus is not going away. It is growing, but so is the misinformation. So I'm it's talking incredible. to my friend, Ray Wang, and he tells me he's an MPH. What's an MPH? A Master's of Public Health. I didn't even know that's what he was trained to be. So we started talking about it, and he just posted a blog post today, which I'll be sharing in a minute, and we have him on the show today. And uh, I, I, we need to talk about this. There's just too much misinformation. There are 10,000 stories on why you shouldn't use Tito's vodka to clean your hands. Uh, that, oh, that's not, not which we should. <laughs> yeah. Not not what we should be worried about. Or or not drinking Corona beer, which is the silliest story of the decade. Don't I don't know. Corona. I'm thinking that and the Tito's vodka could be head in head. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean they're, they're both pretty dumb. I have, I mean, at least the. the what did you say that you shouldn't use it to clean your hands? I mean, I suppose you, people are looking at that from the content point of view. You know, all the hand sanitizers are supposed to be sixty percent alcohol. Well, if you've ever watched James Bond, James Bond has cured bullet wounds with vodka. Yeah, well, there you go. But and, yeah, and, but the problem yeah. is there's just not enough alcohol in it. So why don't we go to our expert? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> Let's get around. Um, I want to introduce my friend, my colleague, my buddy, Ray Wang, who's the CEO of Constellation Research. Ray, are you with us? Yeah, I'm right here. So uh, hey, happy to talk welcome. to you about this. Yeah, and this is my co-host, Mark Cohen, and we're all excited. You posted a blog post today. Tell us what you think from your point of view watching all of this. I've been reading so much on it, and, and I'm sure we can have a great conversation. 
Yeah, no, definitely. So here's the context. There is a lack of trust in what came out of China. There's a lack of trust in lots of institutions. And what that really do, does is cause panic when there's a void of data. And even worse is when you have really bad data and people are all have uh, they've all been reporting these case fatality rates. And that's the thing that's been driving me nuts. It's like, okay, 3.6%, 4% of the people are going to die. Right. right? And you're like, oh, okay, there's, yeah, it's crazy, right? So so you have 10 million people in Wuhan, maybe, and 4% are going to die. And you're like, oh, that's a really big number. Where are the bodies? Right? 8,000 people died. 400,000 people would be at a 4% case fatality rate if those numbers were correct. And then you start right. to realize, hold on, this number doesn't make any sense, right? Because we haven't counted the people that haven't been tested. And once you realize that, you see a very, very different picture. But we're in the Bay Area, where I'm at at the moment, and people are panicked, right? We've got no toilet paper. People aren't, we're doing like, you know, a bowl of elbows. I mean, it's crazy, so. <laughs> so what is the no. right thing to do, and what are the real numbers? So the problem is we don't have real numbers. And in the absence of that, people are taking a massive overabundance of caution. Let's shut down the schools. Let's not go to games. Let's not go to big tech events. And I understand why they're doing that, because we just don't have the data. But we recently got data from Korea, which you could find in the South China Morning Post. Oh, you, and that's right. And I read the South China Morning Post all the time. And I really recommend people read this because you are getting the truth from that publication. And South Korea is so far ahead. Head every of every other country. I read that article this and, morning. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us what we read. Well, what we determined was they did massive testing because they wanted to know prevalence. And prevalence is like who's got the disease but not showing it, who's got a case but not showing. Like we're going to start to see these things like hundreds of cases in California with coronavirus and people are like, ah, right? But that's wrong. It's like there could be tens of millions of people with it but asymptomatic and they're not dying and it's with them kind of like the flu might have millions of people that have the flu but don't die. And, and that's the part that's not getting across through on the media, right? And what South Korea did was they did mass testing. And in that mass testing, they discovered that, hey, it's not 3.6%. It's 0.6. It looks like a flu. It's like a very bad flu where everybody gets it, but it means not everybody's dying from it. So we have a situation where transmission rates are super high, super contagious, but not a lot of people are dying. And, and yeah, I think people that's are the dying. This we'll isn't the know. Spanish flu. I mean, if we take a look <laughs> historically at some of the flus that have you know, gone by in history and have become famous for danger, you know, SARS, MERS, things like that. When you look at it, everybody looks at flat numbers and we should learn that we shouldn't look at flat numbers. We should look at percentages, uh, percentages exactly. of death, percentages of recovery, percentages of reinfection. Have you heard a lot about the reinfection of this? Yeah, and it turns out there isn't a lot of reinfection so far, um, and, and that's what's interesting as well. And so we've got to look at these stats. And the media, you know, a lot of people in the media are going, hey, 4%. A lot of politicians are like, hey, 4%, we're all going to die. And it's like, of what? <laughs> You're right, 4% so, of a quack a billion ain't much. <laughs> So, so your denominator is really important. And the good news is, look, a 1.1 million testing kits went out. We probably need 10 million testing kits to be out to get a prevalence number. Some prevalence areas may be bigger. Like, you know, you might have more prevalence of this in California versus being in Missouri or, or being in, like, you know, Atlanta. Right. So so we'll see that there'll be some variants of it. But I think it's important for people to know that we've got to wait for these rates. Now, that being said, right. 
the number of people who die from the flu already from influenza A, right, or influenza B is still huge, right? 140,000 hospitalizations, 15 million people have the flu, right? Oh my God, 15 million cases of the flu. What are we going to do? We are, we don't overreact for the flu. Yes, we have a vaccine. Sometimes it works. But the point being is people know what it is. They know what to expect. They know they're highly unlikely to get something or die from it unless you're immunocompromised. Exactly. So question. You know, you know uh, go ahead. I, I mean, I find that I am doing very little different than I was doing prior to this thing. I think I'm washing my hands a little longer than I used to. And I do have a hand sanitizer in the car, but I'm still going out. I'm living my life. As I said at the beginning, I went to a Laker game with 17,000 people last night. Didn't bother me. What should we actually be doing if we want to protect ourselves? Yeah, there are a couple of things you can do. One is um, this: everyone's talking about social distancing, right? Keeping three to four feet between people when you're having a conversation. Don't spit on people, right? You don't oh, have no, to do wait a minute. Shakes. I've been spitting on people for years. Yeah, Marsha and I do our show from separate locations. She has a problem well, with Well, Ray that, knows. Yeah. He's been with me just spitting right, on people. Right, there you go. But yeah. Look, there's a famous text together. spit on everybody. Right. Like, uh, Especially for the immunosuppressed and, and people over 60. The CDC came out with that information recently. What is immunosuppressed? People don't know. Who has a compromised immune system? Exactly. And it's people, look, I mean, you know, if you're, if it's typically 65 or old, older, you're a child under two years old, you're a pregnant woman um, up to, you know, or two weeks after the end of pregnancy postpartum, um, people who live in nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. There's also people with asthma or blood disorders or kidney or liver disorders or people who are obese with a body mass index of 40 or higher. Oh, that could be me. Or people younger than that. <laughs> You know, but, but it's that kind of thing. If you've got a weakened immune system and you're taking medications and chemo or treatment for cancer, right, those are immunosuppressed. But that, those are the same people susceptible to flu. Now, the real outrage for me is the fact that we know 14, 15 million people to 60 million people get the flu every year in the U.S., but we haven't done anything about it. We're trying on a vaccine. Nobody's really trying to go for a cure. Drug companies aren't saying, hey, let's go after this as like, you know, the thing of the century, right? And And now comes this coronavirus and we're like, all going ape crap over it. <laughs> so it was, I don't get it. <laughs> well, you're right, absolutely right. Now, I wonder if it's interesting, if coronavirus is indeed a flu, because it is a virus, um, are some of the antiviral drugs that people take ahead of, you know, when they get the symptoms of the flu? You know, I'm just wondering if people should ask their doctors if these, I forgot the names of the drugs, but, you know, you take them to be, when you're first getting the flu, would it help? Would it make the coronavirus less? Well, people are trying to figure out if a Tamiflu works or Remdesivir works. Right, or Tamiflu, something. right. Yeah. Right. But, but you know, I, I, you see companies like Gilead that are taking some of the things that they've right. done for hepatitis treatment and applying it um, and seeing if that it works for a cure. You know, will we get to a cure for this in three to four years? or maybe three to four months, don't know, right? I think that's a hard part um, looking at this. But they actually see, you know, there's some promise. People are thinking that remdesivir is one of the an promising antivirals mm -hmm. uh, that right. might work. Um, but look, we have such problems even getting influenza B right or A right every year in terms of flu strains. Um, it's still a lot of hard work by a lot of scientists still trying to figure out how to get there, right? This is where big well, data because they, AI Because they mutate. Point. They mutate. Yeah, I mean, and you don't know what's going to kick off the mutation and change the virus exactly. just that so slightly that that vaccine will no longer work.
Exactly. I heard a doctor say yesterday on the air that it wouldn't be a bad idea to still get a flu shot, even though it's later in the season. Do you think that's a prudent thing to do? Should you go ahead and do that? You know, I a lot of people really believe that the flu shots work. There's probably a 10% failure rate for some. You always hear about the 10%, like I got the flu shot, mm-hmm. it never worked for me, and right. you know, I, I got sicker, right? There is that possibility. So so if, you, if you're one that normally gets a flu shot and didn't get one, I'd say get one. If you haven't gotten one before and you know, you're fine, don't worry about it. You know, otherwise, you, know, you're, you, might get, <laughs> you might be in that 10%, come back and say, hey, I got that flu shot and got sicker. You know? But in right. general, the flu shots are supposed to help and they create some level of inoculation um, we're all hoping that, you know, with better data, with better prevalence information, we're going to see what's happening. At least we'll see the spread in a time series set of data to say, okay, at this week, first week of March, here's what the numbers were, but we only had 50, you know, we only had 1 million testing kits, right? At this next week, we have 10 million testing kits and they came back and they showed another number. And then hopefully by week four with, you know, with 50 million testing kits, you're like, oh, okay, the numbers keep dropping, um, and and that's typically what what would be expected. Now, if we don't see that, and the, and it mutates, now we've got a different problem. Well, exactly what you said earlier about South Korea. South Korea is testing people who are asymptomatic. In other words, they don't have symptoms, and that way they get to really know the depth of the virus. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. How prevalent, like every year, you know, the CDC does their tests as well to see who's got it, who doesn't. It's a broad based test. It's a baseline test. We've never had one for this before. And and this is going to be the closest thing to getting to an approximation to say what what's in the general populace? How you know, what's the actually asymptomatic rate, which is really what you want to know is like, hey, if I get it, I'm going to get sick. Is there any reality to the the warm weather stifling the coronavirus? Because that's been you know, in the news lately. Well, when it gets warmer, this is going to help. You know, that's what happens with most flus. I think what they want to understand is the etiology, how the how the flu works and how the specific strain of RNA virus is working. Um, is it is it going to help when it gets warmer? People are less closed in confined spaces, indoors, with drier air, you know, situations where people are coughing. Once we get outdoors, typically gets better when it's warmer because we spread the population outside. I mean, there's a lot of things with that, with warmer weather. It's not, not just because it's warm that the virus is dying. It's also because our behaviors. And, and yet my alter- theory, oh, I, I was in the Alaska interior, northern Alaska, north of the Arctic, and I went there in winter because why? I figured there would be no bugs and very little cold viruses, <laughs> viruses flying around. And, you know, I didn't meet anybody that was sick. <laughs> None of those hardy people up there who live north of the Arctic Circle uh, had any kind of disease. I believe in the exact opposite. I think the frigid cold has something to do with protecting us from viruses. I mean, let's face it. It's prevalent on cruise ships, which, by the way, I am not taking a cruise anytime soon. I always thought they were the floating toilets, but now that I know they're petri dishes, I'm just not getting there. <laughs> I fly in like I fly in hollow aluminum uh, petri dishes all the time. Right, right. <laughs> but but, Ray, hey, but the, the thing is, it's density. So it's density. Have, it's density of population anything, that causes this. Have you changed anything you in know, your life? I'm more careful. I, I don't touch my face. You know, I mean, I'm still shaking hands with people, but I'll wash my hands. Um, I haven't 
changed the way I would operate in any other flu season so far. I have knock on wood. Um, something bad doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, I, I've looked at this as a risk factor as, yeah, it's it's a very, very contagious virus. It's going to be everywhere. But the, you know, the mortality rates are going to be low. Um you know, and I haven't changed any behavior, but but the behavior around me has changed with all these tech conferences and events that have gone away. Yes. Yeah. Well, I do want to throw in here that there was a newspaper in Australia, a newspaper. Remember those? Those were paper things. And in the flats in the center, in this eight page SIG in the center of the newspaper, they did not print on it. And they said you could use this for toilet paper. Because they've got a legit shortage of toilet paper, oh which, uh, to be honest with you, really, coronavirus doesn't give you the shits. You, you're not going to need more toilet paper. The, you, there may be a supply chain issue, but I'm sure a neighbor will give you a sheet of toilet paper. I, I don't think it's a big issue. Our, our Costco has been out for the last two weeks and a half. I'm, I'm really glad my wife stocks up. <laughs> that was before. Well, I'll tell you, Ray, I travel a lot, just like you. And but I have had like little Purell packets in my purses forever in my carry on bag. I I've always wiped down the tray in front of me and, and the seat and the remote control for the thing on the plane. It's just a matter of sanitation that we have to do. And also the thing about masks. Now, doctors wear masks. They're trying to tell us that masks won't help you. I think they're trying to protect the supply chain because doctors wear masks when they walk into sick people's rooms. And I'm telling you, if I'm on a plane and I hear someone snorting and snarfing in the seat behind me, I'm pulling out a mask. What do you think about masks? <laughs> so, so one of the learnings actually from South Korea and Singapore um, is, and and in and in Italy was the fact that um, not having masks, uh, not Italy, but not, uh, not having masks was important. Uh, you want masks in closed areas like elevators, right? This is the social distancing point. If you if you're going to be somewhere really tight with people or or in a plane or in something like that, I mean, the masks do have some kind of help, and and I think they are worried about the supply chain at the moment. Uh, we, we've heard that from people in Hong Kong and people in Singapore right. um, and people right. in China. It, it does make a difference, um, especially when people are doing that. But the masks aren't going to save you, and it's not going to filter out all the air and oxygen. And if you're wearing a mask while driving in a car by yourself, that's a little bit silly where we see a lot of that. Yep. So. Right, exactly. Exactly. And, and they're guy. uncomfortable to wear, too. They're not pleasant. Oh, no, they're not. Yeah. Uh, Ray, you're a business guy. Where do you see the the disruption in supply chain ending? Well, China's actually trying to ramp up its production, but uh, the the supply chain risks I'm more worried about is how we have outsourced so much of our medical capacity to other countries. Mm -hmm. And I think every country has woken up saying, oh, my God, if if this were to happen and we have a problem, whose country is going to protect whose supply chain? Um, And so it's now become a national issue of making sure the basic pharmaceutical compounds, um, the basic capabilities of durable medical equipment and other personal protective equipment should be manufactured in your own country, uh, at least to have some stock and supply if you're not going to do the manufacturing. Um, I think companies like in the tech world, um, for like a hardware company like Apple, um, you know, they're, they've been looking at diversifying their supply chains anyways because of the trade war. And what that does is gives them an additional uh, incentive to think about, hey, how, what do we do as we move things out of or having high concentrations of manufacturing in one region or one country? Um, I think we're going to have supply chains that are going to catch back up in about six to eight weeks. It's kind of like the problem you get with Golden Week in China where like you can't buy anything between September right. and 
October and, and you have to right. stock up and do it. At least there's some inventory levels that that actually help. But if we keep if China didn't ramp up production over the last couple of weeks, they would have the same problem. Um, and so so they're they're working really hard to do that. The problem is we just don't trust the numbers. There's no transparency coming out of China right. as to how many cases there really are. I mean, I mean, like I was looking at the numbers the other day, like no one in Shanghai got infected in the last right, day. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, how's that possible? You know, that, that's kind of, you know, crazy. but, you know, Ray, when you're talking about this, there has been. I know I live in Southern California. There have been some Asian students that have been beaten up in schools. Um, The fact that the Chinese government chooses not to give data is a whole other issue, I think, um, that needs to be addressed between governments and people talking to each other. Because our country decided not to be a manufacturing economy a lot, what, 10, 10 years ago? We decided to give up on that. And now all of our um, our drugs are made in China or not all, but a good number of our drugs are made in China. And, you know, that we keep putting up these barriers, be they mental or physical to doing business. We need to open up relations so we get the right numbers and we get the right information. If there's no trust between the countries, then we just can't cooperate and it's not going to work in the end. Yeah, no, it, it started with the behavior by the World Health Organization. They kind of shielded the rest of the countries from getting something right? done. We are the biggest funders of the World Health Organization. So we probably should be um, exerting some influence um, and taking the lead in terms of creating a global database and a global watch system, kind of like the way we look at atomic weapons. <laughs> I mean, we're going to do yeah, something Yeah, I like mean, that. like our CDC. I mean, technically, that's what the World Health Organization should be for the entire world. And unfortunately, the data we're getting out of there, as much as I love them, is not what we need or what the general public needs. They spew out stories all the time. And and it's just I think it just feeds the fear. What we need are more facts. We need more facts. We need more transparency. This is an opportunity for politicians, for institutions, for the media to lead, right, and 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 regain their mantle of trust by you know showing fact-based information, seeing the broader picture, um, helping to see different points of views, um, guiding the narrative of, of of what that truth looks like. I'm not seeing a lot of it right now. I mean, it's a battle for ratings, and that's what it looks like. We're in the middle of an election year. Everybody's got agendas. I don't care what side you're on. But the point being is, like, look, this is about human life, and it's about health. Um, um, and and you really should not be uh, trying to trying to actually you know distort the truth. And one right. thing I wanted to add, and I think that's listen to the experts. I mean, God bless some of our politicians in this country. They don't want people to be scared. They're saying you know things like it's going to be okay. It's going to be yeah. They are not the experts, and where, what they are doing are mommy massaging the masses, and, and that's fine. But we as the masses need to learn, and that's why we had you on the show today, to listen to the experts. I know I read at least an hour of coronavirus every morning, the latest stories. I'm on it internationally. And when I share information, I know it's real. I have vetted the stories. Unfortunately, like I said, there's 10,000 probably tweets on Tito's vodka and cleaning your hands. That's not valuable information for the public. 
No, I, I just jumped in because, you know, I, I have a master's in public health. I was an undergraduate public health major, started one of the uh, early undergraduate majors at Hopkins for that. And, you know, it, it's just like I've been seeing a lot of misinformation. And, and this misinformation I first was like just ignoring it. I'm like, OK, you know, people are going to get through it. They'll see what's happening. But when they use the wrong data to make policy decisions that impact, you know, economies, right, we're going to take a 0.5 to 1 percent GDP hit just because, like, you know, we have bad data. That's really screwed up. Right. And, and when you're at school and people are like, we should shut down the schools. Every kid's going to get sick and we'll have all these cases. And, you know, I'm thinking, guys, come on. Right. If we would just do that for the flu. I mean, think about what would happen. All right. Is this the same case yeah. rate as the flu? Oh, no, it's not. Well, OK, here's well, why. we're right? at and, and so, we're just about at the end of this segment. And I wanted your opinion. The economic repercussions of canceling. It started with Mobile World Congress. I know I've lost a ton of work because of the coronavirus. And now the economic repercussions on Austin with South by Southwest. I'm just glad I wasn't scheduled to talk this year. What do you have to say about that quickly? I think this has been a tech industry media induced tragedy, um, not caused by anyone intentionally. I think nobody wanted to be the pariah and be the first conference. And like that guy in the Wall Street Journal, that team that actually spread the virus, they didn't want to have that with tech under fire from the media. That was the last thing that they wanted. So they took an overabundance of caution. I think with better data, I think it's going to be important for folks to understand what precautions you can take to run a conference. Um, and, and, and hopefully that will start up again in June, July. Most of the conferences have been wiped from March through April. Anything over 500 attendees I know is no, now I've been canceled. Um, I'm thinking right. this is probably $100 billion wiped. Yeah, yeah, I think it's amazing. Ray, I'm so glad you could join with us. I know, Mark, we're running out in a, in a minute. Do you have a qu last question you want to ask, Ray? No, I just think you, Ray, you've, you've kind of said it all. Let's stop the panicking. There's no need for panic. Uh, the world will recover. The markets will recover. And just stay cool. Yeah, but some people will die, and caution yes. makes sense. And that should oh, be yeah. backed by facts. And that's going to be our job here on Tech Radio. We're going to bring you the facts every week as they're necessary. And hopefully we won't be talking about it soon because it's going to disappear. <laughs> right? Yeah, hopefully so. Ray, thank you so <laughs> yeah, much no. for being with us. We appreciate Mark, all Marcia, your insight you so much. And, and knowledge. You're Take welcome, care. Ray, and good talking to you. And let's keep up with the news. Let's share across Twitter to each other. Um, I shared your article today, and I'll share it again tomorrow because Sunday is a better reading day. And hopefully we can get the truth out on a lot of this information. I'm working on a blog post that has nothing to do with coronavirus, but it's about misinformation. And uh, Craig Newmark has been working on this, and I'm going to get get on with him, and we're going to beat this up. We're going to find the yeah. truth in technology. There you go. Uh, by the week coming up next, don't go away, and lots of tech news. We'll be right back. This is Marsha Collier, Ray Wang, Mark Cohen, Kurt Boothman on the Twitter stream, and Wade in the studio on WS Radio, the worldwide leader in Internet talk. Wait for segment two. We're just going to take a break. You are listening to Computer and Technology Radio with your hosts, Mark Cohen and Marsha Collier. Can you help a newborn baby in need? Sometimes the blessing of birth becomes complicated and perilous. Miracle Babies is there to help. Miracle Babies helps moms and dads give their all to their struggling little baby, but still need more. When you give to Miracle Babies, you help them give more. 
more skin-to-skin care, breast milk, and love. Go to MiracleBabies.org and give right now. Be their miracle. I've heard this is like one of the best pizza spots in town. Yes, it is. I'll do a slice of pepperoni, slice of vegetarian. You got it. And I will pay for all of that in three days. In three days? <laughs> What's that mean? Well, wait, you accept credit cards. That money's not going to hit your account for three days anyway. I need my money quicker. At Chase, we hear you. With Express Funding, card payments are in your Chase account the next business day. Go to chase.com slash express funding. Chase for business, so you can. Compensated participation. All businesses are subject to credit approval. Not all clients are eligible for next business day funding and additional terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. You've heard me talking about Progressive Medical Center. They have helped me feel my best. And Dr. Goley, tell us a little bit about integrative medicine. Why is that such a big deal at Progressive Medical Center and how can that make me feel better? Integrative medicine is just good medicine. It's combining the best of traditional medicine, nutritional medicine, natural medicine, and really helping the patient get to the root cause so they can take control of their health and really make an impact to improve not only their energy, their vitality, and just their overall outlook on their health and their life. I procrastinate for a long time before I finally made an appointment. So why should someone not delay and go ahead and get set up and come see you guys? Any journey begins with that first step. And that first step means making a decision to recognize that there's something wrong with you. Whether you have fatigue, inappropriate weight gain, not sleeping well, not concentrating, all of these issues, you can get to the root cause. So many of us here at The Fish have gotten help from Progressive Medical Center. So why don't you find out more from them today? Go to ProgressiveMedicalCenter.com. This is your life. Live it well. I raised $8,000 to build schools for South African children. After realizing how many people go hungry in San Diego, I now volunteer at a food pantry. I'm spending the next year doing volunteer projects across three countries and helping in ways they designate to be the most helpful. The World Link program at the Joan B. Kroc Institute for Peace and Justice recognizes the potential of youth as agents of social change. Learn how you can help youth become a generation of leaders in action at peace.sandiego.edu. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. 